On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Brian Posey. He is the SVP of engineering at Lendio. We're going to be talking about the impact of adding more developers, adding more processes to your development team. Brian mentioned adding uh, sand in the gears, and I thought that really stood out. And I think there's going to be an interesting episode to hear Brian's thoughts on managing the team, the process, the QA philosophy. Brian, thanks for being on the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I know I mentioned you're the SVP of engineering at Lendio. I always like guests to start off with two things. One, you know, let us know what Lendio does, let them know the high level, and then also what are your responsibilities as the SVP of engineering? Sure. Um, so Lendio is the largest online marketplace for small business lending in the U.S. We facilitate an application process that allows small business owners, you know, Main Street mom and pop type businesses to secure funding or additional, you know, sources of capital for their business. And we do so with uh, a high touch, high technology based solution. Uh, We have around 75 lenders on our platform and we match them up to the best opportunity to help that business owner grow their business. My responsibilities at Lendio as the SVP of engineering is all of our engineers, whether it's application engineers, DevOps, infrastructure, data engineering, machine learning engineers, the whole gamut all report up through me. And, uh, you know, we we're here to help our business succeed. Awesome. Excited about this episode. And, and to kind of set the stage, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, what happens when you add more developers, you have to add more processes to keep things moving. And it seems like more art than science, to be honest with you. But at the highest level at Lendio, how are teams managed? Just Is it Agile Scrum? Is it another methodology? That'd be just a great starting point. Sure. So we have all of the teams organized into cross-functional squads, uh, typically three to four engineers with one product manager and one UX designer. And all of those teams are highly autonomous, have a ton of ownership over their different area of the business. And rather than organizing around you know, traditionally code bases and and uh, repos or whatever. We organize them around functional areas of the business or revenue generating areas of the business. And this really lets them go deep in a particular area of the business and, you know, be that mechanism to help our business grow in that area. We utilize a highly modified version of Agile and it's not Scrum, it's not Kanban, but we take principles from each of those. You know, we work kind of in a very iterative cycle, much like a lean startup methodology, and work on projects that uh, are important to the business. Awesome. I like it, especially, you know, around the revenue generating parts of the business. I think that's an interesting way to align teams. And I guess, you know, you guys have kind of taken principles across different methodologies and, and you have a highly customized process system that works for the team. I guess when you're looking at the processes you have in place, obviously you guys have been growing pretty quickly. And as you add more developers, as the teams get bigger, you have to have some moments where you stop and see if things are working or potentially you don't, you you let things go and address them as they kind of come up. But what is the overall philosophy for you as teams are growing? Are you checking processes and health of processes as you're going? Or is it, hey, let something break and then address it once it does? 
We've uh, had a significant amount of growth in the last couple of years with our product and engineering team. We've gone from around 20 engineers and a couple of product managers as recently as 2018. And we're now an organization of 120. We have just over 70 engineers on staff and product managers for each of our 20 plus different product teams. And so as we've grown, you know, many of the processes that work when you're 15, you know, maybe 20 individuals working in the business, those processes start to break down, you know, when you get to the size and so that we're currently at. And so for us, it's been how do we continue to maintain a high level of autonomy and maintain speed to market and uh, speed to shipping product, but doing so safely when you have, you know, a significantly larger team. And I believe most companies that are about our size or teams that are about our size, this is an inflection point for those teams to where you, you know, traditionally you start to add a little bit more process and that process starts to slow things down a little bit more. And you create a lot of safety, but you lose the speed aspect. And so, you know, as we're inspecting, that's the number one thing that we try to focus on is we want to continue to be safe in our building and deploying a product, but we can't lose our speed. Gotcha. Maybe it'd be nice to define. I, I like how you use the word safely. And then also we talk about speed. So the next question there probably is around technical debt. And, you know, how does the team view it just you know, as the years have been going by, are you viewing it as a positive thing? I've heard some engineering managers mention, hey, if used carefully, it is a good thing. Some people avoid it like the plague. Some, you know, are at the behest of sales and sometimes you have to just live with it just to get product out. But how, how does the team overall look at that balance of, you know, producing code safely, you know, within good margins, but also avoiding or having to use technical debt? Yeah, so I, I'll answer that question in two parts. So as far as uh, creating additional safety, it's really around, you know, you'll notice when we talked about how the teams are structured, I didn't mention uh, QA engineer, and that's very intentional. Our developers own the QA process, and really the whole team, including the project managers, owns the QA process. And that includes writing the automated tests, you know, shipping their features out to production, monitoring those features as well, and really taking ownership. You know, we try to treat each of these teams like a small startup. And oftentimes, you know, small startups, you ship code or you die as a business. You know, you get features to market and you do it quickly. Otherwise, those, you know, those paychecks may not clear in the future. And so, you know, oftentimes you hire uh, engineers as your first hire and you're making the decision between whether you hire a QA engineer and whether you hire a software engineer. And oftentimes you choose more engineers because you want to ship more code out there. And so, it creates, you know, a situation where people have to wear many hats. We think that's an inherently a good thing. The second part to your question around technical debt, we actually, we've kind of turned to a different phrase. We call it TAD at Lendio or technical asset development. And although we're really talking about technical debt, it's really important when we're talking with, you know, others in the business and, and stakeholders and whatnot to create a positive experience. You know, these are assets that run a very successful business and we have nothing to apologize for you know they are an asset to us and because it's an asset we want to maintain and improve it and so each of our teams is responsible 
for spending up to 50% of their planned time towards TAD or technical asset development. So that's including, you know, bug fixes, upgrades, maintenance, and everything like that. We also have a concept around what we call service intervals. And much like your car, if you never change the oil, if you never rotate the tires or even stop to fill up for gas, you don't get very far down the road and you're probably buying a new car every two or three years. And so we have the equivalent of a monthly oil change on our code base. We have the equivalent of a 30 or 60,000 mile service. And you know we set time aside in the calendar every quarter and every year to do things like uh, framework upgrades and uh, you know language upgrades and getting to the latest LTS so that we're never out of date and we're not having to buy a new car every couple of years. Well, I guess just to kind of touch on that, when you mentioned you know, developers owning the QA process, so if you were to kind of help peel back the onion on that and go back to maybe an earlier team or, or how that potentially started, obviously you decide to make the decision, you hire more developers, you're trying to ship more product, all that makes sense. Who implements the QA framework? Do you bring in expertise to help implement it? Or is it just developers with their own previous experience are implementing the best QA process they know? Yeah. So when you're a smaller company, and this began when we were a much smaller team, it is from previous experience. You hire folks that kind of have that aptitude and that interest in testing and testing philosophy and you know finding the right balance between automated tests and manual tests. You know, there are some developers, some engineers who love to, you know, build a feature and be able to toss that feature over the wall to somebody else to, you know, test and find the bugs and whatnot. And so that's something that we really look for in our interviewing process is somebody who wants to have, you know, ownership over the entire process, somebody who comes from more of a startup background where you have fewer resources. And so you have to get creative around how you build and deploy product out. And one thing to note, I was going to just, uh, you know, obviously people can look you up on LinkedIn, but if they're listening to the podcast, you've been at Lendio for a while. So you have seen firsthand the maturation. I think when you and I first spoke, you, know, you, you were about one-sixth the size when you first joined. So you have very, very, you know, I guess, intimate views in terms of how the company has matured. And now you're obviously the SVP of engineering. So I think that was kind of interesting to hear from the context of when you were hiring early on, trying to hire the, can you wear multiple hats? I guess as you guys have moved through the years and been maturing, QA is still owned by developers. Are you still looking at developers building out their own QA process or is there going to be a tipping point to bring in you know, QA people or potentially someone who just you know, sets up or manages uh, the process of the framework and, and kind of has other teams work with it? Yeah, so we are continuing to move forward with this small team structure and not having dedicated what I call traditional, you know, QA engineers on the team. But one thing that we'll be adding early in 2022 is starting to build out a test engineer paradigm. So you know, as our code bases have gotten bigger, as the features have gotten more complex, you know, really bringing on expertise around building out great testing frameworks, how to go about testing the right things, which things should be automated versus which things should be manual, and really 
helping the individual developers on each of the teams to write, you know, tests that are efficient and effective and test the right things. Not all the things, but, you know, test the things that are most important to the business. And I guess, I mean, as you're kind of talking about, you know, some of the growth and you mentioned, I guess, a couple of minutes ago about, you know, the team slowing down. How do you manage, I guess, you know, as the team does slow down and you add a bit more process, how do you manage the, I guess, quote unquote, velocity being maintained or or kind of, you know, meeting the goals of product management and, and some of their, you know, milestones and what you need to do? So the way we, uh, we handle, you know, deadlines, working with stakeholders, working in product management is we set a very high level uh, strategy that we want to accomplish at the business. And then we turn that over to our uh, individual product teams. And they they really do work together in a cross-functional capacity to figure out the roadmap that makes sense to go solve that problem. Very rarely does our leadership team you know, say, we need to launch this specific feature or we need to launch something by this specific date. It's all around, you know, defining outcomes, defining the smallest iteration or the smallest idea that we can test and pushing it out there as quickly as possible and validating the result. Awesome. And I guess as you're seeing the team mature and and you're kind of forecasting out, let's say the next couple of years of development, if you have to kind of use your spidey senses, is is much tr- going to change as you add the next you know couple hundred people? Are you are you pretty comfortable that uh, the current I guess the process of you know obviously the developers own a lot of uh, a lot of the ownership of the developers uh, really is that going to hold true or do you anticipate having to make some I guess structural changes as you guys are growing? I mean, there will always be I think you know additional changes, additional structural changes, but this concept of a uh, as we get bigger, a small team operating in the company as a mini startup, you know, really owning from top to bottom a specific area of the business. You know, I really do believe that this can scale out, will continue to scale out. I'm also, you know, fully under the impression that this is going to go great or it's going to totally blow up in our face at some point. <laughs> but I'm excited to see what happens. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, the chaos that could potentially be created by you know the way that we decide to organize is definitely uh, much more interesting than putting in traditional processes that you know you see across the enterprise that in so many ways prevent you from delivering value quickly out to customers. Sure, and I guess when you look at hiring for the team, obviously you mentioned looking for certain types of people that fit, you know the team structure that you guys have set up when you guys are, are looking to hire and, and you're kind of evaluating people to come in is the structure you have where developers are, you know, very heavily invested in the ownership and outcome. Are, are you finding people being able to embrace and adjust quickly if they're coming from environments where that's not the norm or is there a period of adjustment that somebody needs to go through to kind of get comfortable with how you guys do things? Yeah, there's definitely a period of adjustment. We call it the corporate detox. And, uh, you know, it's part of why we, you know, we definitely do look at kind of the startup market. You know, we interview product managers and engineers who are used to working in smaller companies, who are used to quite a bit of ambiguity, who will be able to retain the level of autonomy that they're used to 
but have a little bit more confidence in kind of the long-term growth and trajectory of the company. So all of the excitement and minimizing the risk of what you would typically find in a startup. And yeah, we do find that, you know, folks that come from kind of more of a traditional enterprise corporate background who may be looking for just that list of JIRA tickets that they can, you know, go crank out every day and punch in and punch out. And they know exactly what they're going to be working on every day. They do tend to get a little frustrated at Lendio because we definitely do have each of the teams operating with a high level of autonomy and really figuring out, you know, what are the right problems to go solve and how to go do that. That's, I mean, that's, that's a very valid point. I think what's interesting is sometimes you find the technical skill set, put the person through the interview and can't hire because you know they're not going to thrive in that environment. They're going to come in and there's going to be that frustration level. And you know, while the technical boxes are checked, you're like, well, I don't think this individual is going to, it's just not going to be a good experience for them or the company. Yeah, absolutely right. And you know, just touching on our hiring process real quick, we actually don't do any sort of, you know, coding interview, whiteboard interview, or anything like that. Everything in our interviewing process is around, you know, situations and uh, more of a situational interviewing style. We talk deeply about, you know, past projects that they've worked in, problems that they solved. And we really focus on, you know, can that person tie the project that they built to, you know, long-term success of the company? If there's a disconnect there, then, you know, that's something that, that we really think long and hard about before we bring somebody onto the team. I'm kind of curious because uh, I know every company does things differently, uh, their interview processes, but you guys are doing more situational interviewing. What's the core code that you guys are using as a part of that situational interviewing process? So yeah, with our, you know, our particular uh, code base, we're, we're heavily invested in um, you know, modern PHP. So we're using, at this point, we're at PHP 8. You know, we're primarily backed on Laravel. And, uh, you know, our front-end applications are in UJS and Angular. And we also have a, you know, a heavy amount of Python as well. So a little bit of everything and lots of interesting things to work on. Awesome. I love the fact that developers are given a ton of decision-making you know, capabilities, the autonomy behind it. I think it's got to be a great place to work. And if somebody wants to ping you about anything Lindio-related, What's a good way of getting hold of you? Is LinkedIn a good place to reach out or what's a good way to get in touch with you? LinkedIn is the best way. I am definitely absent from social media in general, but I do check in on LinkedIn every once in a while. So that'd be the best place. All right. Awesome. We'll make sure to include your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And if anyone does want to follow up, feel free to reach out to Brian out there. He'll uh, get back to you. Thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for chatting. Uh, I thought this was really awesome. Great. Thank you, Amir. It's been great to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. We'll be back again uh, with a different guest, a uh, different topic. I always ask for two things. One, if you found the podcast valuable, share it with someone. That's how it's been growing. And I appreciate everyone that does. And secondly, if you want me to uh, talk about a specific topic, feel free to reach out to me and let me know what that is. And I'll do my best to uh, find the right person. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.